You're listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go, a podcast that'll change how you think and change your life. I'm Willie Horton and I'm a psychologist. I've been helping people change their lives since 1996. Broadcasting from the French Alps and delighted to have you along. Let's take this week's step in the right direction. There are times when we need to be in flow. Those times would be between you waking up in the morning and you going to bed at night. Because why would you not want to be in flow throughout the course of this day that is your life? Now, before we go any further, I need to clarify something because somebody asked me recently when I used the word flow, did I mean going with the flow? Now, going with the flow is an expression that is normally used. We know from previous conversations that normal is not necessarily a good word. It's normally used to describe, oh, I'll just roll with whatever's going on. Or in the course of our ordinary everyday life, I will roll with the punches. Yeah, that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about flow as defined by the flow research from Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi from the universities of Chicago, the University of Milan, and a number of other places. Flow, when I use the word, is a scientific definition of the experience of a particular state of mind. And that particular state of mind is a completely and utterly present state of mind immersed in the present moment immersed to the extent that you have forgotten the noise in your own head. It isn't that you've forgotten it. First of all, you can't hear it. But secondly, you're not aware that there is another person knocking around in there. We've talked about that person, that squatter before, that mugger who is hanging around inside your brain, the one that keeps sniping at you that says, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that or or what would people think of you if you achieved this, that, or the other, or said this, that, or the other, or behaved in this way or that way? This part of your mind that holds you back. It's only made up of thoughts. When we are completely in flow, not only are you not hearing those voices? <laughs> Isn't that a sign of madness if ever you heard it? Not only are you not hearing those voices, you're not aware that those voices exist at all. You're not aware of the dichotomy between the real you and the person that you think you are, which unfortunately is the normal state of mind. Well, actually, the normal state of mind is worse than that. The normal state of mind is yet aware of the noise going on in your own head, yet aware of the voices in your own head, the arguments that you can have with yourself. But when we're in our normal automated mode, we think the guy that's shouting at us is the real person guy that's shouting at us uh, it's like a lot of things in life the guy who makes the most noise is the guy who knows he has no entitlement to be there at all he's actually shouting at you from a position of nothingness because as we have discussed in other podcast episodes this piece of you known in modern psychology as the conceptual self now think about that phrase it means it's a bundle of concepts. The conceptual self doesn't exist. It only exists when you feed it. You feed it by giving us your attention. When you are in flow, your attention is elsewhere. 
In fact, when you're in flow, your attention is immersed completely in the moment. Generally speaking, it is immersed in the task in hand to the point that you lose track of time. We've all experienced that from time to time. To the point that you are simply doing what you're doing and it feels effortless. Now, effortlessness, as we've discussed before as well, is a scientific fact. But that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about flow. I am not categorically not talking about going with the flow, rolling with life sponges. Back to the question that I asked you a couple of minutes ago, who wouldn't want to be in flow all the time? Now, as somebody else asked me recently, is it humanly possible to be in flow all of the time? And the answer is, I don't know. And the second answer is, I don't know who might be able to answer the question for you either. Let me quote Thich Nhat Hanh, the late, great Thich Nhat Hanh, on this, the author of, amongst many other books, the lovely little book, The Miracle of Mindfulness. Thich Nhat Hanh in that book talks about one of his meditations, which he calls going for a walk to go for a walk. Now, the meditation in question is obviously a moving meditation. Walking is involved, which makes it on the one hand much more important because we walk through our lives with our eyes open, or at least that's what flow is all about. Uh, normal people not in flow are stumbling through their lives with their eyes closed, bumping into things and missing out on the opportunities that are before their very eyes. But going for a walk to go for a walk is an exercise, a meditation that is obviously very important because we do it with our eyes open. But as Thich Nhat Hanh points out, it is for that very reason, much more difficult than ordinary everyday structured meditation. I didn't say normal, I said ordinary. Structured meditation, we sit down with our eyes closed and therefore we turn off the most distracted of our five senses, the visual sense. But in his little book, The Miracle of Mindfulness, Thich Nhat Hanh makes the point that if you are going to practice this exercise, going for a walk, to go for a walk, then do it on your own. Because it's difficult enough to do it on your own without somebody else annoying you. I'm paraphrasing him, but that's the gist of what he was saying. So if somebody who was practicing being present in flow all of his life, found it difficult to do an exercise such as going for a walk to go for a walk with somebody else present. Perhaps it answers the question that it is not humanly possible to be in flow all of the time. But I believe, I don't believe it, I experience it, and I know a number of the people with whom I work over the years have experienced it too. It is possible to be in flow most of every day. I didn't say most of most days, I said most of every day. It comes from you putting in the little bit of work that we all need to put in to take control of and manage our own state of mind. The little bit of work we all need to put in to make the choice that we need to make moment to moment. The most important choice of your life, the only choice that you need to get right in your life the choice of being present in the here and now. Now, human nature being what it is, we're not, as I just said, going to be in the here and now all of the time. From time to time, the sniper in our head will fire off a volley and hit us. Now, the question, of course, is what do we do 
when we're hit by that sniper or squatter or mugger or whatever we want to call him or her, this guy or girl who isn't really there. The question is, do you go off down an alley and let him or her mug you? You know, people have often said to me, oh, it's five in the evening. I'm giving up for the evening. I've just had one of those days. And I would ask them, why did you let the whole day slip away? Okay, if you were winged when the sniper shot at you earlier on during the course of the day, why didn't you pull yourself together there and then? Why didn't you deploy what my American friends call countermeasures to ensure that once you had been triggered, you de-triggered yourself or did something else to bring yourself back to the realization the awareness, the self-awareness that I have a choice to make now. And it is that fundamental choice that I mentioned a minute ago, the most important choice of your life, because your life is lived in the here and now. And it's important, most important, that you choose to be in the here and now. So if your mind does come up and kick you, kick you on the shins, don't let it kick you again when you're down. Don't let it get you down. Pull yourself together, choose to breathe in and out and be present. This is one of the self-defense mechanisms, if I can call it like that, that ensures that we are in flow increasingly. And you see, when we get into the good habit of reminding ourselves to choose to be present, even though we might have been kicked, then we begin to thread the very fabric of our day with threads of enlightenment, threads of awareness and self-awareness, threads of mindfulness, threads of flow. And eventually, because we train ourselves to do that every day and remind ourselves to do that every day, eventually we get to the point where most of the little threads that make up the fabric of our everyday life are threads of flow. And that is why in really practical terms, I said to you a minute ago that I believe because I experience it, that I can be in flow most of the time every day. And I know that this works for other people because I have hundreds of pieces of anecdotal evidence over the last 26 years, but more importantly, the science proves that this works for anybody. The science proves what working on your own state of mind doesn't just due to your state of mind. It actually changes the piece of equipment that creates your state of mind. In psychology, mind is defined as the thing that the brain does. In other words, your brain is the piece of equipment that creates your state of mind. How you manage your state of mind is down to the piece of equipment you're using. If you are using an ill-equipped piece of equipment, then you ain't going to experience flow. You ain't going to do what you need to do to change your life. And everything is going to stay as it was. It is a case of if you're normal, as you were. Sorry about that, but that's a scientific statement of fact. Because if we don't take charge of our own state of mind, and if we don't do this every day, then we are going to continue to exist and 
scrambled through our day from morning to night, muddled through our day from morning to night, increasingly frustrated because nothing ever has changed in our lives, because we're operating on autopilot and because as a result of that, we're using the piece of equipment that nature gave us. Nature evolved our brains over a protracted period of time to enable us to make it through the day. And that's about the height of it. That's, that's where the excitement begins and ends. When we take charge of our own state of mind, as I said a minute ago, it isn't a question of you just somehow nebulously taking charge of your emotions or of what you're thinking. No, taking charge of your own state of mind fundamentally alters the piece of equipment that you are using to make your way through your day. We know from 20 odd years research at this stage that when we take charge of our own state of mind through training ourselves every morning, the training involved is meditation. When we do that, we first of all, enlarge the left prefrontal cortex in the brain where our attentional spotlight is. That's what it's called in psychology. Essentially what it is, is your center of focus or your seat of conscious awareness. It is the part of the brain that when it's switched on, you're present and you're in flow. Now, unfortunately, if you're using your mind normally and you haven't begun to restructure and enlarge this part of the brain, your attentional spotlight isn't switched on and you're never going to be able to gain control of it. If we don't take charge of our state of mind and we let our automatic pilot continue to use the piece of equipment that nature gave us, we are never going to be able to take control of our attentional spotlight. In other words, we're never going to be able to properly focus. We're never going to be able to do the things that, you know, somewhere deep down, we know we need to do to change our lives. But the minute you start meditating, and the latest research shows that within the first five days, there is a noticeable, discernible, scientifically measurable difference in the left prefrontal cortex of the brain. The minute you start meditating, that part of the brain is engaged, you're in control of it. And if, you know, today was the first day you ever meditated, and say you're 60 years of age, today is the first day since you experience the onset of puberty that you are in control of your attentional spotlight. In fact, you could argue that if you're 60 years of age, today is the first day in 60 years that you have taken control of your attentional spotlight, that you actually have control of that to which you pay attention. We know for an absolute fact that after 11, 12 or 13 years of age, the left prefrontal cortex in the brain, the brain's central executive, is completely disengaged from your everyday life. You don't need it anymore. It was switched on, particularly between the ages of zero and three, when you learned all the fundamental stuff about yourself, the squatter that we talked about earlier on, the sniper that keeps shooting you in the foot. And 
that part of your brain was on to, to an increasingly lesser extent between the age of three and the onset of puberty. Why? What you were doing at that age was you were learning how to live on automatic pilot so you could go out hunting for tonight's dinner. As I said, it's an evolutionary thing. Children aren't in control of their attentional spotlight. They are susceptible to shiny object syndrome, if I can put it like that. You know what I'm talking about. In other words, they cannot discern because they don't have the filters in place. When, when we were young and impressionable, we didn't know what was good to look at and bad to look at. We observed everything that was going on and we took psychological snapshots of everything that was thrown at us, good, bad and indifferent. And unfortunately, most of the snapshots that stuck were the bad ones because we're designed to survive. We need to keep ourselves on our toes. Is this a digression? It actually is not a digression because I go back to the point that I made a minute ago. If today were the first day in your life that you have meditated, today is the first day in your life that you have had actual control of your attentional spotlight. In doing so, in taking that control, you immediately begin to restructure this part of the brain. In other words, you're beginning to change the piece of equipment that you have between your ears. In other words, you're beginning to make your brain fit for purpose. And of course, the purpose of your life, a lot of people will say to me, oh, I don't know the purpose of my life. How would I know the purpose of my life? The purpose of your life is to live it. And the only place and time you can live it is in the here and now. So in taking charge of your attentional spotlight, you start living in the here and now. But there's so much more that science tells us. And there's so much more that I have experienced and I have so much anecdotal evidence on over the last 26 years as well. But the science is clear. When I meditate regularly, and I'll come back to clarify exactly what I mean by that in a minute. When I meditate regularly, I don't just restructure the left prefrontal cortex in the brain. I restructure the subcortical brain what you will have already heard me refer to as the doing brain and the being brain. In other words, the real you. It is completely and utterly different in the manner in which it operates from the thinking brain. Now, the only time it operates effectively in a normal the minded person's life is when they are confronted by a life-threatening situation, when the being brain is fully aware of where it is, and the doing brain enables you get out of the difficult situation in which you find yourself. Otherwise, when we use our minds normally, because we're not in charge of or have no control over our attentional spotlight, the doing brain is always impeded by the thinking brain. When we meditate regularly, we put our thinking brain to one side. In putting our thinking brain to one side, we begin to restructure the being brain and the doing brain, essentially the subcortical brain, the insula, the amygdala, and the hippocampus. In restructuring those three parts of the brain, we begin to enable them do, unimpeded by the thinking mind, just what we need to do in any situation in which we find ourselves, not just the life-threatening situation. 
The latest research shows that by regularly meditating and restructuring these parts of the brain, they begin to communicate amongst themselves in an entirely novel way, so that this part of the brain is not any longer just focused on life-threatening situations or threats, if I can put it like that. The normal mind sees threats everywhere. That's why most people are stressed. This part of the brain becomes focused on threats. Obviously, we have to keep one eye on that. Obviously, we don't just walk out in front of a bus. But most importantly, it becomes tuned in to opportunity. But there's more to it than that. As a result of the way in which it communicates in a new way, it gradually silences the thinking brain. Now, obviously, it doesn't silence all our thoughts. We need to remember, for example, how to tie our shoelaces in the morning. We need to remember how to get into a car and drive it. The thoughts it silences are what psychology calls the self-referential thoughts. Now, I did not say self-reverential. I'm talking about the thoughts that enable you, and clearly that's the wrong word, evaluate how you're doing or evaluate whether you're capable of doing something that you know you need to do to move your life forward. The thoughts that get in our way. The thoughts that tell you, you can't do this, you couldn't do that. What did people think of you if you said this or behaved like that? The thoughts that tell you you're never going to achieve that because you've never seen anyone else achieve it, or the thoughts that tell you, oh, what you want out of life is unrealistic, certainly unrealistic for a guy or a girl like you. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Who do you think you are? The point of it all is that you need to stop thinking who you are. And you need to start being. And when you start being, you start doing. And the really interesting thing about the latest research is that when you start doing, doing becomes effortless because I am immersed in what I'm doing to the extent that I am unaware of self-referential thoughts, to the extent that I have a different perspective of time, to the extent that I am, do you recognize these um, attributes of, or what I call attributes of flow, to the extent that I'm actually experiencing flow. And the experience of flow, or what athletes call being in the zone, the experience of flow is like anything else in life. Once you begin to experience, once you know what it's like, you begin to experience it more. In other words, you need to actually experience it for the first time first. All of the science in the world will not enable you experience flow. It may confirm, it, sorry, it does confirm what I'm saying, and it may confirm to you that this state of mind exists. Indeed, you may have seen people who are in flow, people who have presence, people who have what we call charisma. Uh, just as an aside, think about what I've just said with regard to people who have presence. People who have presence are dot, 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 present. That's all. It's the only difference between somebody with charisma and little old me or little old you. Somebody who has turned up somebody who is in charge of their attentional spotlight, somebody who has a completely different shaped brain to the normal crazy brain. Why? Because they experience it, and the more they experience it, the more they experience it. 
It is simply the same as the way the normal mind works, except the piece of equipment is different. Everything in life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I learned when I was three that I was stupid and I continue to use my mind normally, I'm going to keep confirming that to myself and have experiences that confirm that to myself for the rest of my life. If I work on my brain and begin to experience what it's like to turn up to the here and now, I'm going to increasingly have experiences like that. And that will take me to places that the normal crazy mind couldn't even begin to imagine. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying to you, first of all, that the experience of flow, and I defined, well, we, we touched on what a def, the definition of flow is earlier on. The experience of flow is something that you can have in your life most of every day. You will experience flow deliberately for the first time through meditation. Note I use the word deliberately. Most people have experienced flow as an uh, almost by accident at some point along the way. You know, for example, a lot of people say to me that they experience this state of mind on the day before they go on holidays. They've been putting stuff off. They've been annoyed with themselves that they did put stuff off. They've been feeling guilty that they put stuff off. They said to themselves, I can't do that today. It would take me four hours. And suddenly they arrive in the office on a Friday morning and they're going off to the Canaries or Bali or wherever on a flight on the Saturday morning and they can't put the stuff that they have to do off any longer. So do you know what they do? They just do it. The doing mind just does it. The thinking mind is parked because they want to get through it as quickly as possible, get out the other end and go on their holidays. And most people experiencing that are actually experiencing flow, but they didn't do it deliberately. It happened them by accident. So many people have said to me, oh, I wish I could bottle that state of mind and take a sip from it every morning. And my answer always to those people is, but you can. The science is awfully clear. You can deliberately place yourself in flow and not just place yourself in flow now and again, but through deliberately placing yourself in flow through meditation, alter the fabric of your brain so that your brain becomes a mechanism in flow, so that your brain enables you be in flow most of the time every day. I talked about the most important choice in your life earlier on. And, you know, an awful lot of people ring me uh, when they face a crossroads in their lives or think they face a crossroads in their lives and say, I have an important decision to make or an important choice to make. And I keep telling people that there's only one important choice that we have to make in our lives. And when we get this choice right, every other decision or choice we have to make will seem simply like the right thing to do because it'll feel like the right thing to do because it'll be your gut instinct that is telling you it is the right thing to do. The choice you have to make now is whether or not you're here now. If you're using your mind normally, you cannot make that choice. You could say to yourself, oh, I choose to be here now. And in the next breath, the sniper will have winged you again. The only way you can deliberately make that choice 
deliberately put herself in flow is to train for it. It's like anything else in life. If you want to play the game of life, you're going to have to train for it. The scientifically validated training is meditation. I have been teaching my clients to meditate for 26 years. Only when people have started meditating with a degree of regularity do they begin to experience not just flow, but all the flows from flow, the life that they really, really want to live. Or as I said a minute ago, the life that the normal mind couldn't even imagine. In other words, it's way beyond that, the life that is best for them. You've been listening to To Succeed, Just Let Go. To get involved, join me in my Facebook group, strangely enough called To Succeed, Just Let Go. And for more information, visit www.willie-dash.com.